Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We want to welcome you this week as we once again kick off The Movement Begins. Let's jump in and see what God's Word has for us from guest speaker, Pastor Aaron Thomas. As Pastor Antoine said, uh, my name is Aaron Thomas. I'm the youth pastor at a church down the road called West Concord, and I'm glad to be with y'all today. Thank you for, for having me back um, you guys are some of the most welcoming people I've ever met. Um, I love worshiping the Lord with you and alongside you. Um, and I'm excited about Acts chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. And, and as you're turning there, um, I, I really like to eat. Um, and I wanted to say that up front because, you know, that is probably something that you enjoy doing as well. So we have some, something we agree on here at the beginning. In case everything goes south from here, we all like to eat. Um, and sometimes we try new restaurants now that it's like cool to go out to restaurants again and like, some of the restrictions are lifting. Um, but sometimes we'll go to a restaurant and um, it's like got a really cool logo and their website is great. Their menu's online. It's like a real welcoming environment. The, the outside of the building is really done up. The sidewalk is clear. The entrance is marked clearly. You come in. The staff is amazing. They seat you quickly and like the table's in a good spot. It's not too close to the people next to you, but it's not so far away that you feel like you're on an island and like the, the music is just where it needs to be to where you don't have to yell over it, but you're also not worried that everybody's going to hear everything you have to say the table next door she's like it's got a good vibe and then the food comes out and you're like man that place was so good but like it felt good but the food didn't satisfy and then sometimes you go to a different type of restaurant where like it's in a dumpy location like the buildings run down you come in and people are like what do you want like they don't really care that you're there but then you get the meal and it's so good and and I think churches tend, not always, this isn't a, a perfect rule, but churches tend to fall in one of those two categories where they're, we're really welcoming and inviting people, feel loved, but then sometimes the, the teaching and the, the, is lacking something. The, the meal isn't there. Or uh, the environment's not so welcoming. People are kind of gruff and grumpy or it's just not so inviting, and, but then the teaching is at least uh, theologically sound. And, and we need both of those. We've, we've got to make sure that we're not pursuing one over the other, but we're pursuing both of those. And if you will take this analogy just a little bit further with me for a moment, I think that most of us as individual believers tend to fall in one of these two places as well, where we're either really loving and welcoming and, and uh, encouraging and warm, but then we kind of fail to bring the truth, especially when the truth is hard, or we're a little gruff, because we just, well, I got the truth, and I don't really care how it makes you feel, so I'm just going to give you the truth because that's what you need. And we tend to fall in one of those two places, and we, we want to make sure that we, we're doing both. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 3. Um, the apostles brought both. Uh, Jesus' ministry brought, brought both. There were miracles and message. The, 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 move, the Jesus movement grows through word and through deed. And Acts chapter 3 gives us a, a pretty clear picture of that. Um, we got to remember that this is not, chapter 3 is not a standalone perfect picture of what it means to be a Christian. We've got to remember the, the rest of Scripture, but remember that summary from Acts chapter 1 and 2 that the people gathered together, they were committed to one another, they loved one another, they shared their things, they sold stuff so that they could take care of one another. They were committed and they loved one another. They had this vertical relationship with God figured out, and they also had this kind of inward relationship with one another figured out where they loved each other well, and in chapter 3 it talks a little more clearly about what it looked like for them to reach out in this, these outward relationships. And so I'm going to read from chapter 3, just starting with verses 1 through 10. 
Um, and before I do that, actually, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into the Word together. Father God, we, we love you. Um, God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for the chance to set this time aside this morning to sing praises to your name, to listen to your word be spoken over us, uh, to us, um, through us. And God, we ask that right now as we um, spend this time in your word that we would, um, we would have ears to hear, that we would have minds to understand, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged and you would convict us where we need to be convicted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what, God, or at what had happened to him. All right, so uh, the first thing I want us to see is that miracles entice us. Miracles get our attention. They, they show us affection. They, they draw us in. So um, some of those ways, they, they show affection. I want, Jesus, every time Jesus performed a miracle, he was doing it for someone out of a place of compassion, Miracles didn't happen in isolation. They weren't just like displays of power. Like Jesus never flexed on people and was like, watch me throw this boulder. Like he could have or just turned it into a mountain or turned it into a butterfly. Or what? Like he could have done anything he wanted to do, but he never did that kind of thing. And his apostles, his disciples didn't do that either. When they performed miracles, it was always for someone out of a place of compassion. When Peter and John are coming in this gate, we... We don't know exactly why they decided to stop this day. This man, in chapter four, we learned that he's over 40 years old. He's been begging at this gate for a long time, but they stopped this day. He bring, he, he's healed this day. And when they come to him, it's not just this, okay, cool, now you have legs kind of thing. They stop and they ask him in verse four, they, they look at him and they say, look at us. This isn't random charity healing. This is dignity restoring. And we to think about how often this guy would have been overlooked. Think about how often people who stand at intersections are overlooked and ignored by us as we drive past them or people on benches in downtown areas who just walked past and ignored over and over again. And Peter and John, they see this man and led by the Spirit, they go to him. And he would have felt something was different here because they ask him, look at us. They're not just dropping money in his lap. Alms giving, like giving to the poor was a common Jewish practice. Uh, but there was something different that was happening here. Peter and John loved him in a way that someone just dropping money in his lap as they passed by could not. We need to make sure that we're showing people that we care about them. And, and good deeds are good deeds, but there's a difference between charity and justice. And that's something that I learned from my sister-in-law, Gina Thomas. I think she was the first one who really challenged me on that, and she's over there right now. Um, sorry for singling you out. Um, but what we're seeing through Peter and John here is justice, the, the restoration of this man to who he should be. 
And that's our aim when we help people. We want them to be who God created them to be in all of the ways. And people can tell if you're truly trying to help them or if you're just helping them out of obligation or if you're just helping them because you want to feel good about yourself. When we show affection, we also get people's attention. Like the man in verse 5, he turns, when they say look at us, he turns expectantly like something's coming here. Even though he doesn't know what's coming, he's expecting money. In verse 6, Peter's like, I've, I've got something for you, but it ain't what you're looking for. And he gives them legs. And I want to just think about that for a minute. Like think about being 40 years old and never having walked one step in your entire life. And then a man walks up to you and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise and walk, and just picks you up and your legs like strengthen underneath, of you, underneath you and all of a sudden you can walk. Like that, that was all new for him. And it, this is amazing. And it didn't just get his attention. It obviously got the attention of the people around him. People in the temple are like, wait a second. First of all, this guy's freaking out and jumping up and down. I don't know if that was common practice in the temple. But uh, then they start to realize, wait, I've, passed the, I've seen that guy. And his legs didn't used to do that. And now they're doing that. It's like something's going on here. The, the people are in awe and astonished, it says in verses 9 and 10. And we would be too. There, there's a reason that people keep making like YouTube videos where they pass out cash or give crazy gifts like cars or houses to people. Like even though we know that it's not really helpful, those like home makeover shows, like the, the long-term studies of those show that it's not actually benefiting those people. We're exploiting them for entertainment. But put that aside for a moment. There's a reason people keep making them because we like to watch lavishness be poured out on people who aren't expecting it or can't get it themselves. Undeserved kindness and generosity get our attention. They're, they're attractive, and we should be known. The church should be known by this kind of love, both for one another and for neighbor. And, and again, we want it to be the dignity-restoring kind, not the make-me-feel-better kind. When that happens, we're going to see people coming around just so they can see what happens next. And I, and I want to clarify a little bit more because we should, we should boldly love people. We should pray for miraculous healing. We should pray for deliverance. We should pray bold prayers. These are good things that we should do. It's good things to desire. But the miracles that we're praying for by themselves are incomplete. And they shouldn't be televised or broadcast or streamed for attention, but that's kind of a, another side point. The miracles always in Scripture, they always point to more. They're not an end of themselves, but we crave the miracle. And the purpose of miracles is not miracles. Our, our individualistic culture has discipled us into thinking that if the miracle isn't for me, then it's not just or God is unfair. The same liar who whispered into Eve's ear in the garden is whispering to us. Did you see what he did for them? They don't deserve that. You've been faithful. And for what? to be ignored by the one who supposedly loves you, he doesn't really love you. That, that lie has been whispered to us over and over again from the beginning, and we need to reject it as a lie. Yeah. We've got to remember that God is good even when we don't understand his ways. Like right now, I don't understand. We don't understand why Putin is in charge in Russia and why his military continues to brutalize Ukraine. I don't know why one of my students was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis as a, as a toddler and then grew up to 18, survived a lung transplant, and then died at 18 years old. 
I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why our friend Carla died at 40 of cancer, praising God throughout her decline, while so many who mock him live healthy lives to old age. I don't know why. And a miracle could fix those circumstances, but the miracle's not going to satisfy us in the way we're actually longing to be satisfied. Pastor Tim Keller, when he, he preached on this miracle, he said, walking people are still unhappy. This man had to have wanted legs under him. Walking people are still unhappy. I'm, I'm one of them. It takes more, this is also from him, he said, it takes more than you think to fill your soul. It takes so much more than we think to fill our souls. Our craving for miracles or a craving for something deeper, something more than, than what a change of circumstances could fulfill, even if our circumstances are horrible, even when we're craving something good, like someone to not die of a brutal disease, which is, is good and right, and it hurts deeply when that desire is not fulfilled, that thing still can't satisfy us in the way that we hope that it will. What we need is for the world to be made whole again. We need an end brought to the sin that destroys it. We're, we're craving something more fulfilling than we realize. The miracles always point to more. And so we want to look a little more closely at this miracle. In verse 8, this man, after, after being healed, after his legs are restored underneath, or they're not restored, they're just given to him. In verse 8, it says, He jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And like, we can look at that and say, absolutely, of course he's going to do that. Like, he wasn't able to walk. But a good and faithful Jew, remember the temple was full of Jewish people at the time, and a good and faithful Jew would have seen something in that that they had heard before, because they would have studied the Old Testament, and they would have remembered Isaiah 35 when they saw this lame man walking and leaping. They would have Remember Isaiah 35, 6, it says, Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. They were seeing Old Testament prophecy come true before their eyes. This wasn't just a cool thing that made the day interesting. They were seeing God fulfill his word, a lame man leaping like a deer in the temple. And they certainly would have then recalled all the times Jesus had performed similar miracles, the ways he had opened the eyes of the blind. There's going to come a day when we're going to see people dancing on resurrected legs. We're going to hear them sing with resurrected voices. We're going to see them, or we're going to, we're going to see them seeing with resurrected eyes. We're going to, they're, they're going to hear with resurrected ears. Um, one of the songs we sang this morning is Great Are You, Lord, the song that uh, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. That is a really hard song for, for me to sing because I don't know if you are familiar with cystic fibrosis, but I mentioned one of my students um, died from cystic fibrosis, and that disease slowly hardens your lungs until you eventually suffocate. And so uh, for her entire life, she, had, she dealt with that. It was like um, breathing through a straw all the time. So when she went to school, when she came to youth camp, when she did all the things her friends were doing, every breath was a struggle. And then there was a promise of hope because she got on the transplant list and she was able to get lungs and they found a match. And that whole process right there is a miracle by itself. And then she went through the procedure and I remember being with her mother at, in Chapel Hill as she was in surgery and we were praying that the lungs would take and that she would feel what it was like to breathe. And then she did, 
She took breaths like she'd never been able to take them, and she praised God in that. But then we were also with them when those lungs started to harden, when her body started rejecting them. When we sing, it's your breath in our lungs, every time I sing that song, I think about faith and I think about how she was not able to breathe as we are able to breathe or as, as most of us are able to breathe. And I, her mom is a part of the worship team at our church. So when our church sings that song, she's standing on, on the stage singing about her daughter. It, it's drawing to mind her daughter. But then as we, we start singing, all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, great are you, Lord. And Faith Shaw is in glory, singing praises to our Savior now and forever. It doesn't make the hurt go away, but it fills us with a hope that allows us to endure the suffering that we have to endure right now. And the work Peter and John did here in chapter 3, they did for this man was mirroring the work of Jesus. They were pointing them to the one who was going to restore all things. And then the message that they bring also points to Jesus as well. So let's read. We're going to read all the way through verses 11 through 26. So while he, the, the man who was healed, was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of, re- uh, until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke about through the holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. And there's a lot going on here. I'm not going to, I don't have time to get into every piece of it. But what I want us to see is while miracles entice us and get our attention, the message shows us what we really need. And what we really need is Jesus. What we really need is the gospel. And I'm not saying forget your empty bank account, forget your empty belly. You just need the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is a fat bank account and a full belly cannot satisfy your soul. 
It's going to fix some of your problems, yes, but it won't satisfy the deep longing you have in your heart for all the wrong things to be right in the world. Yes, let's work towards everyone being taken care of and fed. As we saw in, in Acts 1 and 2, is the, the, the disciples or the believers are taking care of one another. Wait, yes, let's work towards that. Let's work towards that for our, our uh, neighbor outside of the church. And let's also work towards everyone being found in Christ. The Jesus movement grows through word and deed. Most of us gravitate towards one or the other, as I mentioned. And personally, y'all, I struggle with the word part, which is weird, right? Because I'm standing on a stage talking to you about Jesus right now. But all of you came here today, even if you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe the gospel, you at least expected somebody to get up and talk about him this morning. And so preaching from a stage is in, in some ways easier than having a one-on-one conversation with somebody about Jesus. And it is hard some people are, are better at it, more naturally gifted at it, and just go into that and go hard and praise God. We, th- those like me need to learn from you. Um, but I, as an example, yesterday I was spending time with family, um, and I was, I was speaking to uh, a man who's a family member of ours, and he was talking about, a, he's not a believer, he was talking about a funeral that he had attended last week, and the priest had said some things that just uh, were kind of stirring in his mind, uh, and he wanted to share that with me which was awesome, but I was not expecting to have that conversation. I was dropping my kids off at my in-law's house, and he happened to be there, and then he's sharing this stuff with me, and I was not prepared, and so I'm racking my brain, like, how am I going to, like, affirm what he's saying, the good things that he's recognized about the Lord, but then also get him to Jesus, and I did not do a good job of that yesterday, and and I'm, (laughs) and in doing it, I drove away from that house and I said to Jen, I'm like, I'm going to go preach tomorrow about the importance of, of loving people well, like doing good deeds for them and to them, and also proclaiming the gospel to them, and I failed at that yesterday. And I, I, I confess that to you not, I confess that to you so that if that is you and you struggle, I want you to know you're not alone in that. But please do not use my shortcoming as an excuse for you to be like me. Jesus has commanded us to make disciples of all nations. He's commanded us to go and proclaim the gospel to people. Like that, that's a command. Just because I mess up and others mess up doesn't mean that we should mess up with them. Uh, people can't believe if they don't hear, and they can't hear if someone doesn't tell them, and we need to tell them. And when Peter and John are speaking here as this crowd has gathered. Peter capitalizes on this opportunity, but he meets people where they're at, and we need to make sure that we're meeting people where they are. In verse 12, verse 17, he addresses them as fellow Israelites and as brothers and sisters. He's, he's personally speaking to them. When, um, when I was in college, there was this guy, um, I cannot remember his name, and it's probably for the best, um, but I, when I was a freshman in, in college, I, I was at NC State, and there was like kind of the common area in the middle of campus that everybody had to walk through to get to their classes from the dorms to cross the train tracks to get to their classes. And he would always, he would come every couple months and he would stand on like a, a raised flower bed and he would just yell down at people. He would call girls out for wearing pants and tell them they were going to hell. He would call boys out, tell them they looked told them they looked too effeminate and tell them they're going to hell. He, it was just a constant barrage And like that man thought he was sharing the truth with people and he always drew a crowd 
And he would justify himself. But, oh, well, they don't want to hear. They hated Jesus, they'll hate me. But, no, man, they hate you because you're mean. <laughs> like, we need to make sure we're personalizing this. We're meeting people where they're at. There used to be a guy who would stand at the corner of McGill Avenue and 29 with a bullhorn just yelling from the other side of the guardrail. I don't know if you ever got yelled at by him. And if you're related to him, then I'm sorry I called him out just now. But I think he means well, but it's just not, it's, it's not changing hearts to yell at people like that. That's not the way that we, it's not the example we have from Christ. It's not the example we have from his apostles. Peter knew his audience. He wasn't speaking down to them. When we share the gospel with people, we need to contextualize it, which just means that you're not going to talk about Jesus to your granny the same way you talk to Jesus about a kid or to a kid that you see at the mall or on the basketball court or in a school or what, one of your kid's friends who comes over. Like, you're going to speak a little differently. Some of the, there's going to be truth that overlaps in both of those, but you're going to connect with them differently through your words. And in verse 17, Peter says, I know you acted in ignorance. And he's not mocking them by calling them ignorant. He's just saying, you didn't know, but now I want to tell you. There was a Jewish audience, so there's a lot of Jewish language and terminology there. Like the word Messiah to them meant something different than it's probably going to mean to your nephew or to a kid who's never grown up in church. And so we need to take the time to explain those things. Like the Messiah was the promised one. From the beginning, when our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, rejected God, believed the lies being whispered into their ear by Satan, and they rejected God, and sin came into the world, God promised that one would come who would crush the head of that liar. And that was the beginning of the promise of the Messiah. And then throughout human history, God clarified that more and more. He said that um, the Messiah wouldn't just crush evil, but he would restore all things. He would make a way for people to be brought back into a relationship with God. He's one day going to make all the wrong things right. He's going to rule and reign forever on a new earth with, where God and man live together. And this Jesus, who was killed and resurrected, is the Messiah. God's son. And then Peter, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting uh, the words of Moses from Genesis and from Deuteronomy because he's talking to a Jewish audience. He's saying, you already believe these things to be true, and this is how the truth that you already believe and already agree with points to Jesus. And that's what we need to do for other people. If we want people to understand what they really need, then we need to meet them where they are. Like if I give you directions to my house and I say go south on 29 when Church Street splits off of it, go to F&M Bank and we live behind the bank. From here, if you're familiar with Concord, you can probably get to my house. But if I give those exact same directions and we're in Charlotte, they're gonna end up somewhere completely different. Or if they're in Atlanta, they're gonna end up in somewhere completely different. We need to recognize where people are so we can meet them where they are and bring them to Jesus. And when we do that, we need to make sure that we get to Jesus, that we magnify the miracle worker because it is not us. When, when Peter brought healing to this man or when God brought healing to this man through Peter, Peter wasn't just like, Shazam, walk. Like, no. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. In verse 12, he, ever, the crowd's gathering. He says, why are you amazed? Why are you staring at us? We didn't do this. I don't have power to do this. Is pointing to Jesus. It's not about us. And when you go out of your way to love somebody, they're going to pray. They often are going to praise you or thank you for it. And it's good to, to say thank you when they praise you for that. I'm not saying that we always need to like 
Jesus juke people when, they, when they're praising us, but we do need to take the chance to tell them about the one who compels you to love them in that way. In verse 16, Peter, again, is making more, this is about God, this is about Jesus. Jesus is the healer. The man, the man was healed by faith in Jesus' name. And again, y'all, we won't always see the healing in the way that we want to. Many of my prayers have gone un- not unanswered. They have not been answered in the way I wanted them to be answered. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't the healer. And that doesn't mean that we should stop praying. We gotta keep, keep asking. And we need to see too that when the church works together to meet the needs of our communities, there's a miracle in that. The block by block program that you guys partner or participate in and, and run out of here, the stuff that was done during COVID, getting fresh fruits and vegetables to people in the community, like at the expense of yourself, the, the partnership with the Baptist Sharing House, like there's a miracle in that. It may not look like a man's leg suddenly strengthening to bear his weight, but people are sacrificing their own comfort for the good of strangers. And that is a miracle of the heart because our hearts are naturally selfish and turned inward we want to make everything about us so when we love other people it's because god loved us first it's because he's working through us and pouring out on them don't overlook a miracle just because it doesn't look like magic (laughs) don't overlook a miracle just because it doesn't look like magic And, and when i was preparing this i can't i i I thought about this time, I can't remember who I heard it from first, who was talking about medicine as we know it. And I know like healthcare is, is a hot mess uh, in this country, but medicine as we, as we know it was born out of the Christian movement. Prior to Christianity, like medicine was just like some dude would show up with some herbs and rub it on stuff and like maybe do some chanting and then they would mentor other people into that same stuff and they would travel to different towns. There was no system of accountability. You couldn't like say, hey man, you made me worse, not better. There was none of that. But then after Jesus, his followers were like, man, Jesus was always healing people and always taking care of people and we need to do the same. And so healthcare as we know it was born out of the Jesus movement was born out of Christianity. And, and now it has become a thing that we expect and we're expecting something, we're, we're overlooking the miracle that it is because of our expectations that it, that it does for me what I want it to do. And like, and I, I wanna be clear, the healthcare system, I'm not saying it's perfect, I'm like, it, it's been messed up, but it is a beautiful thing that people who reject God labor away and spend their lives bringing healing to him from a movement that was born out of his people. And we need to affirm that in them and point them to the one who, who made it so. We need to point them to the one who brought that miracle to the earth. And when we meet the needs of people and let the Lord work through us, let us magnify the miracle worker who made that love possible. Um, it's more than just loving others in Jesus' name. We need to share the whole truth. We've got to get to the heart. And Peter addresses the heart in a hard way in verses 13 through 15. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And Peter spoke boldly to the brokenness that he saw in the people in front of him. And I don't think he said these things to shame them, but to help them understand their own need for a savior. We're not gonna see Jesus as beautiful if we don't think we need him. 
We're all broken. We're, we've all rejected the source of life. We've all denied the holy and righteous one. We're all guilty and in need of a savior. And if you don't think you're guilty, just like cycle through the Ten Commandments from Jesus' perspective when he says that hatred is the same thing as murder and that lust in your heart is the same thing as adultery. And then like, then browse through your Netflix history or your YouTube history or those TikTok videos you're watching. And I'm not saying that again, not to shame you, but just, man, so that we can see our own need for Jesus. We've all messed up. We need someone to step in and rescue us from the hell we are making of our lives and from the separation from God that we're headed for. And the good news is that someone did, and his name is Jesus. And, and the gospel, it doesn't allow, when, we, when we're talking about Jesus, we can't allow for, for ignorance or to be like, that's a cool story, and then just walk away. Each time we hear the gospel, we respond. We either believe it for the first time or we confirm that we believe it still, or we deny it. And in verse 19, Peter called them, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. And when, when we're talking about repentance, repent just means change your mind. Change your mind about your sin, change your mind about God. See your sin as disgusting and worthy of being rejected, and see God as beautiful and as worthy of your life. Change your mind about who God is. Change your mind about who your sin is. Repent and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And you will experience newness of life. And not like poof, magic. Like your bank account fills up, your pantry's full, like the problems at work are gone. It's not that kind of newness of life, but seasons of refreshing where you can face the pain and suffering and brokenness of this world with friends at your side who have become family through Christ and hope in your eyes. We do a disservice to people when we make the gospel about just the afterlife. The book of Acts shows us how Christians became family to one another sharing their stuff, sharing their lives, and they hold one another up through immense suffering. There is joy and true family in the life of a believer. And, and that doesn't mean we don't hurt each other. Like, the, there's tons of church hurt. I'm sure many of you in this room have been hurt by the church, but maybe hurt by people in this room. I know I hurt people at my church. It is real, and I'm not trying to gloss over it or dismiss it, but when, when we experience it, we've got to remember that we're here not because of the people who love us, but we're here because of our Savior who loves us. Yeah. And then we need to, when we recognize we've hurt other people, we need to repent. We need to make it right with them. We need to repent. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to walk in newness of life and love them better this time. And if you've been hurt, then you've got to Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of what Jesus did on your behalf, how he forgave you when you you had no reason, there was no reason for him to forgive you, but he did it out of great love for you. And that doesn't mean that we, I always do this with students, like, abuse is abuse and needs to be rejected and fled from. Like, I just want to be clear about that. Like, I'm not asking you to forgive someone who is abusing you over and over again. You need to get out of that situation. And I don't know if somebody in this room needs to hear that, but Jesus is not asking you to forgive your abuser to the point that they continue to abuse you. That, that's, that's not it. 
But if someone has slighted you in the church or overlooked you or made you feel left out or not welcome or not worthy, you need to remember like we're, we're all messed up in a need of Jesus and we're all walking towards him together and there are things we need to forgive one another for and just keep going together towards Jesus. The, the movement begins and it's a movement of word and deed and we need both. Most of us fall short in one or the other and we don't wanna be the restaurants that look good but serve junk. And we don't want to be dumpy, grumpy spaces that serve filet mignon from a trash can lid. Let, let Think Kingdom be a place where people feel welcome and they're fed with the finest food. Not just in this building and from the pulpit, but from your homes. From the break rooms at work. From the local restaurants. From your backyard barbecues. From your drive through car meals. Wherever it is that you are. And I, I want to share a couple of practical things as we're talking about just loving people well and, and participating in this movement through word and deed. One, we need to work together. Peter and John, Peter, Peter does a lot of the talking here, but Peter and John were together. When Jesus sends his disciples out, he always sent them out in pairs. They were always together, working together. And there's a variety of reasons for that. We can hold one another up. We can encourage one another. Um, I remember like when this came like real to me, for, it, I don't know why it was this particular thing, but I had this crab apple tree in the middle of my backyard. And I, I don't know why crab apples are a thing. Like I feel like the sin and the fall destroyed the good apple. And then it was just, anyway, if you know how to make crab apples taste good, let me know. But uh, we cut ours down. Uh, and then after we cut it down, the stump was in the middle of the yard. And so I was like having to dodge it with the lawnmower. It was time to dig it up. And my brother, Andrew, came over to the house and was like, hey, let's dig that stump up. And it was hot that day. And we went out and I'm like, start digging this thing. I'm like, I don't want to do this. But in the corner of my eye, like he's working so hard. I'm like, I can't let him outwork me right now. Like, I got to go too. So then I'm like, I'm, I'm going harder than I want to or harder than I feel like I can because I'm working next to him. And like, we need each other for that. Sometimes we need each other to spur one another on. So work together. And the second thing is follow the Spirit. Peter and John were on the way to the temple to pray. It was the hour of prayer. They weren't coming there to bring healing to a man. They were going to pray. But then the Spirit led them to that man and they obeyed. The Spirit is speaking Speaking to you, are you listening? And we need to help, thirdly, we need to help people. Make sure that we are helping people. Words without deeds fall on deaf ears. If people can't tell you that, that you love them, then they don't care what you have to say. Um, and then fourth, tell the whole truth because deeds without words can't save. And then the last thing, trust God with the results. If you keep reading into chapter four, right after this, Peter and John get arrested. And they don't see that thousands of people who heard them right then were added to their number that day. They, they didn't see that take place, but the Lord did it anyway. Jesus says, I will build my church, and we need to trust him to do that and praise God that we get to help. And in verse six, Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. And every believer has something that they can give. It might be money, it might not be money. It might be energy, might not be energy. It might be time, might not be time, but you have something and all of us have the gospel to give. That was Pastor Aaron Thomas bringing us back into the book of Acts with our series, The Movement Begins. If you were blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. 
And if you're in Charlotte or any of the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can hear this message and many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.